0: You're listening to Modern Intimacy, a show about mental health, sex, relationships, and the private things we need to talk about more publicly. I'm your host, Dr. Kate Balistrieri. As a licensed psychologist, certified sex therapist, certified sex addiction therapist, and packed trained couples therapist, I help people live more fulfilled lives by shattering stigma, erasing shame, and building connections. It's no secret that we live in a society that compartmentalizes mental health and sex from our everyday lives. On this show, we're going to change that, and we'll do it by getting curious together. In this podcast, I'll invite you to join me as I investigate the relationship between sex, mental health, relationships, and modern society. In each episode, it's my goal to provide safe, smart, dimensional, and practical answers to those complex questions you've been wondering about. Head on over to modernintimacy.com slash podcast for show notes and resources, or to submit a question or topic you'd like me to explore in future episodes, as well as to find all the links to follow us on your favorite podcast apps, so you don't miss an episode. Don't forget to follow me on TikTok and Instagram at Dr. Kate Balistrieri for daily tips on how to improve your mental health, sex, and relationships. Everyone has questions. You are not alone. On this show, I make information accessible because everyone deserves to have more integrated, healthy, and sexually satisfying relationships. Thanks for joining me. Let's get started. I really appreciate, Ryan, you coming on the show today to talk with me a little bit about anger and emotions and alexithymia. But before we jump into all that good stuff, I'm really curious, how did you get started in this field?
1: Yeah, that's, I appreciate you asking. So uh, the backstory here is that I was a uh, psychology major in college um, with the uh, intent of, of actually, well, I should say before that, I always wanted to be a teacher. That was my, my goal when I was growing up. And then in college, I, I took my first psychology class and I loved it. And, um, I wanted to work with kids. And at the time mm-hmm. I was, uh, I worked at a shelter for at risk adolescents. Uh, this is in the twin cities and mm-hmm. many of them were um, kids who had s- seemed like had serious anger problems. Mm-hmm. Now I-, I realized since then, uh, frankly, these were kids that had a lot to be angry about. The of problems course. weren't necessarily theirs. Um, it was the environment they were in and the, the um but what was true was that difficulty managing that anger was really really salient for them mm-hmm. and um and it was getting them into lots of trouble and so i went away to graduate school with the mm-hmm. goal of of studying anger and um and so that's really what sort of brought me there then once i was there i i kind of went back to wanting to be a teacher and so had started teaching at the college level eventually
0: Wow, that's great. And where are you teaching currently?
1: I work at the University of Wisconsin, Green Bay. Um, I've been in the psychology department here for about 16 years. Um, I'm now the associate dean uh, of the the College of Arts, Humanities and Social Sciences. I was chair of the psychology program for about eight years and now I'm I'm in the dean's office, but I still get to teach uh, a couple classes.
0: Oh, that's great. That that is, uh, I imagine that that's a really important part of what you do because teaching is just so it's so rewarding. I miss it.
1: Yeah, I really can't imagine what what I'd do without it. I mean, mm-hmm. it's really truthfully right now at a time when you know the world is really challenging. Teaching is working with young people is one of the things that gives me hope. Mm-hmm. Um, I see. Uh, I see a lot of great things in the generations below mine, and um, a lot of things to appreciate and things to be excited about.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Um, so, I'm curious. Anger you had a you had a TED talk on anger a few a few years ago.
1: Yeah, I think it was yeah. 19. I think yeah.
0: Yeah. Oh wow. Okay. So, so can you tell listeners a little bit about what was the thesis of of your TED talk?
1: You know really the the argument i was its original title was the upside of anger which Mm -hmm. it turns out is actually a movie so we couldn't use it as a title (laughs) for the the talk which is fine so the title got changed after i did it um but the idea was really that um you know anger has a bad reputation people tend Mm -hmm. to think of it as something that disrupts their life or causes them problems but really, anger, like all emotions, are rooted in our uh, evolutionary history. Mm-hmm. They exist in us because they helped our ancestors, human and non-human, solve problems, right. um, confront injustice, uh, confront unfairness, mm-hmm. and they energized us to, to to do those things, to solve those problems. And so the talk was really about trying to help people understand that even though anger can and is associated with a lot of problems, mm-hmm. um, it is a healthy emotional experience. Um, and when we channel it into sort of pro-social positive uh, experiences, it can be really uh, uh it can lead to a lot of solutions.
0: It can, it can be really constructive, right? And I think a lot of people misunderstand the difference between anger and the expression of anger. I wonder if you can speak a little bit to the difference there and the nuance.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, anger is really just pure and simple. It's the feeling state. Mm -hmm. Um, It is the emotional state. It's, It's associated with a particular physiology that actually looks and feels very similar to fear. Mm-hmm. Um, it's associated with a particular set of, of thoughts, usually blaming others, usually um, some catastrophizing mm-hmm. um, sense of unfairness and like that. And then it's associated with what we call some behavioral tendencies or some desires to behave in a particular way. Um, oftentimes to lash out either mm-hmm. physically or verbally, but as you just pointed out, What's really important here is we don't have to act on those things. It's separate from those behaviors. Mm-hmm. And so, what I see happening a lot is people confuse anger with aggression. Mm-hmm. And aggression is a, a behavior where there's an intent to hurt someone or something. Right. And when we're angry, we sometimes aggress, mm-hmm. but not always. Mm-hmm. Um, and frankly, not all aggression. In fact, a lot of aggression isn't motivated by anger. It can be motivated by something else,
0: mm-hmm. like fear, panic, yep. anxiety. As-
1: mm-hmm. Absolutely, um, other emotions. So there's mm-hmm. what we call, uh, you know, emotional aggression, which is motivated by um, all the things you're talking about. You know, mm-hmm. fear, panic, anxiety. Um, you know, in, in animals, we really we've, we talk a lot or notice a lot of maternal aggression right? that's driven mm-hmm. by a desire to protect offspring. Um, mm-hmm. I think in humans, though, we could actually point to a lot of aggression that is what we call instrumental, um, meaning it's to to serve a purpose. It's with mm-hmm. a specific goal. So war, um, that sort of violence is often. Uh, instrumental there's a there's a goal behind it. it isn't necessarily motivated by anger even if the person who's doing it might be angry while they're doing
0: it mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah that makes a lot of sense what's your take on on the role of protesting that is that also an instrumental expression of anger
1: i think so i mean i think that um you know protests can look a lot of different ways. And, you know, we, we certainly have seen some instances of protests that have turned violent or turned Mm -hmm. aggressive. Mm -hmm. um, And there's plenty that, that haven't been. Um, I think that we see that, you know, that typically the goal of any sort of protest is to do one of two things. It's either to raise awareness uh, or more likely it's to, I mean, along with that is to actually lead to some sort of change um, some sort of systemic change. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, you know, that, that second piece is inherently disruptive for many um, and, and oftentimes, um, but I think the protest itself is oftentimes or probably always motivated by anger, but mm-hmm. anger that's being channeled into a, a healthy, I think typically pro-social
0: Yeah, typically, right. Or we might Mm -hmm. not call it a protest. Right,
1: exactly.
0: (laughs) Right. Well, I see anger come up a a lot in clinical practice, um, in the work that I do, um, especially for people who have a history of trauma. And it sounds like you've identified that as well in some of the early Mm -hmm. groups of kids that you worked with. Um, And people are often really afraid to feel that anger, really afraid to express anger, even when it's justified. Um, and and really, uh, anger is a valid emotion. So I wonder, you know, what are some of the things that you might offer for people to think about if they are struggling to get to that place where anger might actually be useful and necessary in their healing process?
1: Yeah, so, you know, so much of what we are comfortable expressing is going to be rooted in our life experiences, but mm-hmm. even more specifically, our childhood experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, we oftentimes learn our emotional expressions from our caregivers or our peer groups. And so um, for many people, um, even you know people pre-trauma, let's say, who have not yet experienced this sort of trauma you're talking about, we see them... Um, really taught essentially not to express their anger, that it's mm-hmm. not safe to, that um, they get in trouble for it. Um, for many people, their anger is met with other anger from someone mm-hmm. else who, mm-hmm. um, um, and even not just anger, but aggression. Um, right. So spanking, other sorts of, of physical uh, punishments and abuse. Yeah.
0: Retaliation, really.
1: Yes, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. and And so... Um, And I think that's going to be even more true for women who learn that, uh, or girls uh, and women, who learn that um, expressing their anger isn't appropriate. Um, We know that girls and women are are oftentimes taught a different set of rules when it Mm -hmm. comes to emotional expressions than boys and men are. And so for many people, it can feel just uh, really... Scary uh, as an adult to try and express that anger because we have a lifetime of of not uh, not being allowed to um, or being discouraged.
0: Yeah, I'll often see people whose anger comes out in the form of tears. When that's been true for them, when they've been socialized away from feeling as if anger is a, a permissible emotion to not only feel, but to express, um, it, it shows up in the form of crying or shutting down and needing to go to sleep, right? When we don't get to discharge that that energy, that nervous, angry, um, sympathetically driven uh, energy in the body, it can sometimes move really quickly into a collapse,
1: Yeah. And, you know, what I think, you know, it's really easy to think about anger and its relationship to fear. Mm -hmm. And I think oftentimes people put those two together um, and it's because they have similar physiologies and they also have some similar thought processes, especially like catastrophizing tends to be relevant Mm -hmm. to both. Mm -hmm. And I think that's I think that's a a fair thing to, to think about. I actually like to also acknowledge the similarities, some of the similarities between anger and sadness or Mm -hmm. um, in anger and grief, Mm -hmm. Um, because um, for one, I mean, one of the things you oftentimes see in both is a sense of helplessness or hopelessness. It's just, I, I feel stuck and, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I tend to focus on injustice when it comes to why people get angry. Mm-hmm. But another reason why people get angry is goal blocking. It's I want this thing and something is preventing me from having that thing.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: I think that, that there are times where that's going to be linked to sadness too. It's I am trying and, you know, I, I don't mean to make it sound as sort of linear and like there's an actual thing, but a, I, I want, I want an achievement. I want a life. I want yeah. a, a I want something yeah. and I want things to be different and something yeah. is interfering. And that brings out the sense of hopelessness and helplessness that I think is associated with sadness too. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And that leads to tears and that leads to people shutting down and that leads to depression.
0: Mm, yeah, I really appreciate the way you broke that down, because it, it can really feel so sad to feel so powerless and out of control in affecting the kind of change that you would like to see in your life, or in your relationship. I mean, I, I see this so often in, in relationships with couples uh, who I work with, where they've been sitting on years of anger and resentment toward one another, because they don't know how to express it, or they feel as if even if they try, um, it won't be heard. They won't be validated. The problem won't change or move or have any textural difference when they're done communicating it. So you do sort of see this patterned um, learned helplessness and a lot of grief and mourning that goes along with, with that inability to see the possibility for self-activation being productive.
1: Right. Yeah, that's, that's, I can really see how that would play itself out in mm-hmm. relationships. And, you know, there's, there, like you used a great phrase there with learned helplessness, the sense of, you know, because in many cases, I'm, well, maybe not, but in, in some cases, at least, I think people have, they've tried, you know, it's, yeah. I've tried to communicate this. It hasn't landed the way I wanted it to, or the right. person hasn't responded the way I wanted to. So I've just learned to hold it in.
0: Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Right. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about what happens when people hold it in. Where does it go? What do they do with it?
1: Yeah, great, great question. And so we for a long time, we thought about anger as being channeled into or essentially expressed in two or two or three ways, I suppose. Um, there's the outward expression, right? The yelling mm-hmm. and screaming, things like that. Um, there's the, uh, inward suppression, mm-hmm. um, which I think you're talking about where the, I'm holding it in and not, mm-hmm. uh, not dealing with it. Um, and then there's uh, what we'd call like control strategies. It's the mm-hmm. deep breathing, the counting to 10 and things like that. Mm-hmm. And researchers started talking about, that was one of the earliest scales of anger is called the Trait anger expression inventory. And, um, uh, Basically, lumped things into those categories. So these are the the ways we express anger. And some people came out later and said, you know, there's a lot more than that. Mm-hmm. And there's, um, and, and talked about how people sometimes diffuse their anger by, you know, listening to music or playing music or writing poetry. Um, people uh, avoid uh, sometimes. Um, you know that there's there's a number of of things we can do uh, mm-hmm. when we are angry. Um, people ruminate. I will confess to being a ruminator. That is my, <laughs> my anger sin. Um, but um, when it comes to suppression, mm-hmm. or uh, which sometimes looks like avoidance for people, sure. where they just hold it in, um, we know it's associated with a number of, of negative outcomes. It's associated with other negative emotions. Like we mm-hmm. talked about fear and sadness, guilt. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's associated with health consequences. But then again, so is anger expression out in that Mm -hmm. way. Um, And, you know, cardiovascular being some of the main ones, or cardiovascular related being some of the main ones. Mm -hmm. um, It's associated with alcohol use and overeating, other drug uh, use and abuse. Mm -hmm. Um, So a number of of problems, including, and this is the one that I think a lot of times people don't necessarily see, um, are relationship problems. Mm-hmm. Um, that you and not just romantic relationships, but all but friendships. Right, that, right. You know, we we think that in some ways you almost think, well, a person who holds it in, like that's gotta be better than a person who, who you know, really lets me have it. But no one mm-hmm. necessarily loves being friends with someone who just says, Oh, I'm fine. Everything's fine. Don't worry mm-hmm. about it. It's yeah. it's nothing it can be alienating to people um, in a way that, that decreases sort of social support and and so on.
0: Yeah, it really, it decreases a a felt sense of trust, right? Because implicitly, people know when somebody's not being honest about something. And even if they're not communicating it directly, there are little tells in their nonverbal communication, or the way in which that they might uh, weaponize another activity. So you mentioned um, substances or alcohol use, right? People can weaponize those substances. And and act out their anger with them. They can drink at their partner. They can, you know, eat at their partner. They also can weaponize sex, we can weaponize money, we can weaponize status, we can weaponize clout. I mean, there are all of these different things that we can bring into our, our, our excuse me, our armor. When we're not constructively uh, describing, discussing, and communicating uh, the way we feel, so I always tell people, you know, the the nice guy, nice girl, these are myths. Right. And and they're dangerous myths because when we fall down on our expression over and over and over again, it creates an implicit sense of mistrust. Right. I know you're not giving me all the information I need to have an authentic relationship with you, but I don't know how to get at it. And so it creates distance.
1: Yeah, that's a fascinating way of thinking about it. That in some ways the the friend or the, the romantic partner who tells me they're fine when mm-hmm. I know they're not fine. I, I mean, in some ways that's them being dishonest with me
0: mm-hmm. in a lot of
1: ways, you know, mm-hmm. and that ultimately what, what the, the sort of as uh, rift that puts causes in the relationship mm-hmm. is, is one that's going to over time have a damaging effect.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Well, because I love alliterations, I wonder if we can move from anger to aggression and now to alexithymia, Let's do it. <laughs> so alexithymia happens to be one of my favorite words to say ever. It's just <laughs> really fun. Um, but I wonder, you know, what what's your understanding of alexithymia and sort of how it shows up, especially as we're talking about anger?
1: Yeah. And I think about this. This is another one, too, that feels um, in many cases, particularly gendered to me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that really with alexithymia, we're talking about people who have a hard time differentiating and describing and being aware of their emotions. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I think, you know, this is such an interesting thing for me from a, um, from a developmental perspective, because so when I think about how emotions develop, um, you, you think about an infant and an infant, essentially, you can think of it as having almost two feeling states right it's content (laughs) and not content you know and um and then over time that that infant learns to differentiate those Mm. emotions and break them up and other things as you know because all of a sudden not content becomes sad or lonely or Mm -hmm. scared or Mm -hmm. angry and um and then even as, as a child starts to learn i um Uh, you know, hey, other people have minds too, and they might be evaluating me negatively, those things become embarrassment and shame. And and so, and I realize I'm just focusing on the bad ones right now. Um, (laughs) So when I think about alexithymia, in some ways, what I see is, is that developmental process Mm -hmm. breaking down. It's a, a child that didn't, that didn't wasn't exposed to the variety of emotion words out there, the variety of experiences that never learned the difference between, um, you know, sadness and fear that never, Mm -hmm. or or fear and anger that -hmm. never learned the difference between love and lust and, Mm -hmm. and so on. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, to me, that's what, it's really a, a developmental deficit in some ways.
0: I agree. Um, I think about alexithymia, and I and I think this is the common understanding, it's really about not being able to articulate, uh, identify and articulate what our emotions are, right? And it's mm-hmm. born in a couple of different ways. Alexithymia is born through trauma and dissociative states, and we don't actually get to uh, know and name the emotions that we're feeling in those dissociated states. So people who have a lot of trauma, um, mm-hmm or substance use can sometimes have a lot of alexithymic uh, expression um, Mm -hmm. or or traits later in life, but you mentioned that it's gendered also. So, you know, let's talk a little bit about normalized male alexithymia and how that's maybe different than somebody who has a more um, profound trauma experience.
1: Yeah. So I think that what I see is that the the nature of development, especially, mm-hmm. or I should say, at least here in the United States, but but also more more broadly, is that um, many people um, are not sort of granted the full range of emotions, mm-hmm. um, and not granted the right to experience and express the full range of emotions. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think that looks differently in, in different genders. I mean, I think mm-hmm. we have plenty of evidence that women are and girls are not allowed to experience and express anger the Mm -hmm. same way boys and men are. Um, I think what we see with, um, with men with boys and men though, is that, um, there really isn't that, that expressions of sadness, expressions of fear, um, Mm -hmm. those, uh, emotional expressions are sort of wildly shamed, especially mm-hmm. early on, in such a way that um, that it it harms um, their ability to feel comfortable expressing them later on in life. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to me, that's one of the ways in which I really see um, you know we we've you, know, you and I talked uh, about masculinity at times. It, it's mm-hmm. it's one of the ways that I really see sort of traditional views of masculinity as being limiting um, to to healthy emotional development, especially for men.
0: Yeah, I I really appreciate the way you broke that down because you're so right. People of all genders do get messages about anger, but I do think one of the things that's really different about the way people raised female or raised as girls Um, are socialized around their feelings is that they may be socialized against expressing anger but they are more encouraged to understand and express the other uh, the other emotions with great nuance whereas with boys and men people who were raised male um, this really does tend to be one of the only emotions anger that they are permitted to express you've sort of got that continued bifurcation of experience you're okay but everything else is anger, right? And so there's a lot of um, a lot of emotional depth that really is not uh, permittable for them to understand internally, let alone communicate. And that gets reinforced over and over again with really negative and shaming comments like "be a man, suck it up," you know, all of the things that we now can can identify as being damaging to the developing child's mind. Mm
1: -hmm. yeah and you know the the funny thing is and the sad thing is that i i can easily easily look at my childhood and identify ways in which those values were instilled in me the Mm -hmm. the ways that the times in my life when um uh when i was shamed for feeling particular things and then i can also see where those things um cause continue to cause me problems mm-hmm. later on. You know, mm-hmm. I can also see those times where I um, wasn't as intimate as I wish I'd had been. I can see times where I sort of performed in a traditionally masculine way at a time when I probably shouldn't have, you know, and, mm-hmm. and where it was unfair to people around me and unfair to myself. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, it, it is a, a really difficult thing to beat. It's a really yeah. difficult thing to undo. Um,
0: What's your take on why? What are some why of the reasons? Why it's difficult? Yeah. Why might it be challenging for, for anyone, but in this case, especially uh, male identifying people to really challenge that, that early training around feelings?
1: Yeah. You know, that's a great question. And one is just, when you when you think about who we are as human beings and mm-hmm. the sum of life experiences that got us here, there's a lot of of, of practice involved. There's a lot of habit <laughs> forming that happened, and yeah. and it's it's hard to undo those things later on just because we want to. It's mm-hmm. hard to you, you have to be very very intentional about it, mm-hmm. um, and and so when you think about what that, you know, if you, if you even, if you use sort of a stages of change model to think about this, I mean, there's, there's going to just being aware that there's a problem is, is going to be part of this. Mm-hmm. And then even once you are saying, okay, is it a problem I want to fix is, is the next step. And then once you do it, it requires sort of constant attention and mm-hmm. recognition of I'm doing it right now, aren't I? And do I need to is this a good time for me to work on trying to not do
0: Mm -hmm. this thing?
1: Um, And then on top of all that is by definition, when you're emoting, um, especially angry, you're not thinking at your most clear. And I think at times we're thinking irrationally. And I think at times when we're emoting, we're, um, we're feeling really vulnerable. And Mm -hmm. so that's really not a time when you're going to want to say, okay, here is where, I'm already upset and I'm not thinking clearly and I'm vulnerable. Here is now the time where I'm going to do the work to yeah. <laughs> to essentially undo the 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 childhood damage that yeah. I that I dealt with.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's so true and and I think another layer on top of that is when people experience pushback from peers about the changes that they're making, right? Or family Mm -hmm. or their partner. We we get really automatic in our relationships. And sometimes that's a really good thing because it it means that we're comfortable, we feel safe, we are intimate. Um, but when we're trying to make a change, that, that upends the equilibrium in any relationship mm-hmm. dynamic. And so some people, when they start to do something different, might experience some resistance or some pushback or some labeling or shaming from people who maybe aren't uh, ready to see them change or evolve in a different way. And that can really be painful too, because at our core, We're relational creatures, and we really want that connection above all else. So if that sometimes feels in jeopardy, people may unconsciously or consciously be more motivated to keep doing more of the same so as not to disrupt the system of their relationships.
1: Right. And I can see how how easy it is for people to immediately slip back into those habits when the outcome wasn't what they hoped for or didn't feel right or wasn't received well by the people around. That's, that's really interesting.
0: Yeah. Well also, and, and if, if we are holding on to really rigid gender roles, we might have some feelings about what happens if I start to do something that's different than the role that I've been given and prescribed, right? So for people who um, identify as, as women or more female leaning, um, Or feminine leaning, you know, what does it mean if I start taking a more assertive step forward in my anger? What does it mean? Will I be called names? Will I be shut down? Will I be perceived as, um, you know, uh, intolerable by people around me because I've been conditioned to be so soft when I'm angry? right? Or non-expressive. And for people who are more masculine leaning, you know, what does that mean? How will they be perceived if they start saying, you know, I'm actually really scared right now, or I just feel so disappointed in, in this, in whatever just happened. And I don't know what to do with that information because that requires vulnerability.
1: And I'm convinced that a lot of minimizing of other people's emotions actually is not just unintentional, but even kind of comes from a good place mm-hmm. that, that when you, that when someone says I'm feeling really scared right now, that the other person's response to minimize that is not, you know, they might say, Oh, you're going to be fine or mm-hmm. something like that, which is not, it, it comes from a good place. It comes from a desire to help someone feel better. Yeah. But I think ultimately serves the role of saying your feeling isn't valid. And, and I think we see that time and time again, where this desire to, instead of just saying, Oh, I know what that's like. And Mm -hmm. instead of empathizing, instead of, you know, there's this desire to try and fix it. Mm -hmm. And by fixing it, we unintentionally might send the message that they shouldn't feel that way. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm convinced that that's what drives a lot of people slipping back into sort of old patterns of like, Mm well, I, I guess I'll be fine. I might as well not tell anyone. Um, because yeah. they aren't going to hear it anyway.
0: right? Oh, that's such a good point. What would you uh, What would you say to people who um, are recognizing that maybe their relationship to anger could be different, mm-hmm. and they don't really know where to start?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I think the first thing I encourage people to do is to to start being really reflective mm-hmm. about what I call the the what I refer to as diagramming an angry incident. And it's about thinking about the different um, elements of the anger experience Mm -hmm. Um, and to start paying attention to some of what I consider as sort of four main elements or five main elements. One is the types of provocations that tend to lead to anger for them. Mm -hmm. What are the types of things that tend to get there? Um, one is what are some of the mood states, uh, or other physiological states that they're in when they tend to become angry to pay attention to patterns there. Mm. Um, one is the types of thoughts they tend to have. Do they, do they quickly slip into, this is the worst thing that's ever happened. Uh, do they quickly slip into that person did it on purpose or why can't that person just do their job? Mm Um, And then the third thing is the actual physiological experience in in their body. What is their Mm -hmm. heart doing? What are their muscles doing? Um, What's happening to their, to the, are they getting a uh, a headache? You know, things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, And then finally, what do they tend to do? Um, You know, do they, do they yell and scream? Do they swear? Do they cry? Do they pout? Do they assert themselves? How do they tend to express it? And I think that once people start attending to that pattern or to the patterns that are that exist there, they start to recognize some places to intervene. Mm-hmm. Um, and for some people, it might be, you know, there are particular provocations I don't need to invite into my life. So I'm going to try to avoid those things. Mm-hmm. For someone else, it might be, I'm more likely to snap when I'm sleep deprived. So mm-hmm. I'm going to be more careful there. <laughs> <laughs> yes exactly um or uh for some people it's i quickly slip into catastrophizing and i need to start to undo that i need right. to start trying to think about outcomes more realistically um for others it's about like working on some of those physiological symptoms it's like mm-hmm. when i get angry i'm going to do the thing where i take deep breaths or i'm going to start meditating more and,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and by paying attention and for most of us by the way it's it's all of those things, right? There's, mm-hmm. we can intervene in all of these different places by understanding how our anger works. Um, we can we can figure out how to um, uh, how how and where to intervene best. Yeah,
0: yeah, I love that. I love that multi dimensional approach because you're so right. We we all have different um, experiences on all of those different dimensions of anger and how. Uh, just like with any emotion, right? We have a physiological and emotional, cognitive, and then of course, a behavioral relationship to um, what we're feeling. And and with anger in particular, because it can be so scary for people and can be so difficult to clean up if it's expressed um, in a way that's hurtful, either to yourself or to other people. I really like to sort of think about the first opportunity that you have to create a pause Right, and that's the moment to really look for. And if the first thing that happens for you is is that thought process when you notice that you're catastrophizing or blaming really heavily or starting to judge someone, if that's the first cue on that arc of anger for yourself, great, that's your tell, your internal tell to find a pause. And the pause can be something like taking a breath. Um, it can also be a simple statement like, "I'm feeling really angry right now, and I need a minute to collect myself." right? And then you don't have to have the answer. You just have to go take a break. And that gives you an opportunity to regulate your nervous system a little differently, and then come back online with with your partner or with your colleague or your boss and whomever you might feel that, that anger with and express it more constructively.
1: I really love that because I know one of the challenges for many people is that they can do all of this when they're not angry. It's doing it. <laughs> when they're angry, that is the problem. And so they can, they consistently tell me uh, like, yeah, this all makes sense. But when I'm mad, I can't get yeah. there. And so for them, it's about having those strategies in the moment. And I think mm-hmm. the, the first moment to pause is a really good one. And and I also tell people it, it, that's that's the value of reflecting on it when you're not angry, because yeah. the more you do that, the more that the next time when you, you are angry, mm-hmm. you'll be more aware of it, you'll catch yourself earlier and mm-hmm. be able to, to rethink things earlier.
0: Absolutely. You've got to build the muscle just like any right. other muscle. Yeah. Right. Well, thank you. This has been so illuminating and I really appreciate your time today. Where can people reach you or find your work if they want to learn more about mm-hmm. what you do?
1: Yeah, so my website is alltheragescience.com. Um, And then I also um, have, uh, I'm pretty active on social media. Mm -hmm. So you can find me at Anger Professor on uh, Twitter, TikTok, uh, Instagram, Facebook. Um, And then I also have a book called Why We Get Mad. Um, that is available wherever people buy books. So
0: that's amazing. Um, Yeah. Please check out, uh, please check out Ryan's TikTok. It's amazing. You've got so much great content. That's where I found you. And you just have such a really easy way of explaining complex ideas. So thank you for that.
1: Well, thank you so much. And it's mutual admiration. I really love the work you're doing on TikTok and on Instagram as well. So I, I appreciate you.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Modern Intimacy. Follow our show on your favorite podcast app by going to modernintimacy.com slash podcast. And while you're there, don't forget to enter in a question or a topic idea for future episodes. That's modernintimacy.com slash podcast. This show is for educational and entertainment purposes only and is not a substitute for therapy or psychiatric care. Listening to this show or submitting questions or topic ideas does not constitute a therapeutic or professional relationship with Dr. Kate Balistrieri or any providers that work at Modern Intimacy. If you're having a medical or psychiatric emergency, please call 911 or go to your nearest emergency room. All opinions expressed by guests on this show are those of the guests only and are not necessarily indicative of those opinions held by Dr. Kate Balistrieri or staff at Modern Intimacy. Thank you for listening to today's show. For more episode information, and helpful tips, visit ModernIntimacy.com or follow us on Instagram at Intimacy or follow Dr. Kate on Instagram and TikTok at Dr. Kate Balistrieri. See you next week. Seeking the truth never gets old.